Hi, my name is Jonathan Kiersby. Welcome to Sax Reel, the podcast that gives you the inside scoop on your favorite saxophone-loving musicians. Each episode, I will have a new guest in to share their fun stories about their past, talk about their experiences as musicians and educators, and to share any exciting projects that they're working on. Welcome back to Sax Reel. This is going to be part two of the Dr. Lehman interview. Last week, it, he talked a lot about his start on the saxophone and his graduate career. Make sure you go back and listen to that if you haven't caught up. And this week, he will be talking a lot more about his studio culture and the projects that he's currently working on. One thing that I've definitely seen in your teaching, you're definitely hard on the students, but I know that you do it out of caring. Um, what's it like? I mean, you have so many students now that are actually in working in collegiately or, I mean, anywhere, to be honest. What's it like seeing your students now? Oh, it's amazing. I have, I think, 16 or 17 of, of graduates in my program are teaching at the university level. Oh, wow. I have one um, who did his graduate work at Northwestern when I was at Furman who's in the president's own and, mm. and a lot of successful band directors and people outside of music too. And, and yeah. I'm happy for all of them. As long as they're happy in their career, I'm happy for them. I feel like a mother hen when I go to saxophone conventions. <laughs> uh, we had 20 or 22 people at a, at a dinner at the NASA convention. I know I had to miss that one. I was so sad. You weren't alone. There could have been another five to 10 more who were yeah. out there. And, yeah. and I, I really relish that. It tells me that I've had some impact in my part of the world, Definitely. small as the saxophone world is, I will go to my grave feeling satisfied that I made a positive impact with mm -hmm. at least some people and hope, hopefully that that will bleed out for your students and their students and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That was always a goal. I didn't want to just put in my time and have a career, support my family and then retire. Uh, yeah. I wanted to make an impact, and I and I feel like I, I think you know Cinta's impact was really strong when I was there, which was a few years younger than I am now. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember noting when I hit the age that he was <laughs> when I studied with him, thinking, "Yeah, oh, have I done? Am I as as keen in my assessment, and mm. am I as able to help my students as he was with me?" You know, everybody's different. You have to teach to your own personality. That of course, was an interesting yeah. thing that he said while I was studying with him is, look, first three years, you're going to be mostly, you know, regurgitating things that your teachers have done for you. After that, mm -hmm. you start to flower and bloom into your own personality as a teacher. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think that's about the right period. I know that early on at Furman, I did a lot more things that were just like what were done in my lessons, whether... It was what I did with Frank Stackow or Dave mm -hmm. Bilger or Mr. Sinta. At the various stages, as I taught your students, it was more like Frank, older students more like Don. Mm -hmm. But that changed more over time. I actually heard myself say something to a student, and I was like, that is not your words. That, those are Don Sinta's <laughs> words. You need to come up with your own. Mm -hmm. um, and be more yourself. And, and I think all students need to do that and will mm -hmm. over time. I mean, just look at any, any composer. What do we have? Three stages of their career. The one where they reflect their teaching, the one where they burgeon into their own unique voice, and then that very special last period that mm -hmm. most people have. As composers, I think it's the same as teachers. Yeah. I think we have a period where we really strongly reflect our teaching, a, a period where we really blossom out into our own unique self as a teacher. And then my guess is, as I approach it, in the last part of your career, you start to become even more personal yeah. and unique. 
some people like that better some people don't that's you know neither here nor there but i, mm -hmm. I think that progression is a normal human human progression oh, yeah. i definitely life, catch myself quoting you exactly on some things. stories <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry all right they're good stories that's fine <laughs> no problem there yeah. i'll get out of it you know a couple of years right <laughs> yeah yeah i will yeah. say and and uh, I, I won a teaching award at USC a couple of years ago, and they mm -hmm. asked me about this. And, and I feel like I work a lot less hard for far better results now mm -hmm. than when I was young. Yeah. It's just you start to analyze things differently and get much more aware. I, I still occasionally think about a couple of students I had at Eastern Michigan at the very mm -hmm. beginning of my college teaching career. And I think about, oh, Man, today I know exactly what was wrong with that student that I was so frustrated and couldn't seem mm. to help them figure out. Now I would know immediately what to do and look for to yeah. solve that problem. But we all go through that. And, and I hope that at every five, ten year stage, I feel like, wow, I'm so much more able to help my students now than I was five, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, not that I think I was a bad teacher early on, but I worked a lot harder for the results. And, and it's not that I'm lazy and don't want to work hard. Uh, I love work. <laughs> this I is more efficient. Work. But yeah, it's a lot more efficient. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of students, obviously, that, like you mentioned, that are still in saxophone. One thing I wanted to bring up was that you just started a quartet recently with some of your past students. So I feel like that yeah. is a, actually speaks a lot to you as a teacher because number one, they're in collegiate saxophone. And number two, they're willing to play with you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they must I'm like you to a certain degree, right? <laughs> at some level last year when we played our program that they chose, uh, <laughs> I, I thought perhaps this was payback for some past Oh no. Because <laughs> um, they put me through the ringer. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, Neil, Neil Postma actually started the concept mm. and wondered if I would be willing. And I have, I've missed having quartet in my yeah, life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I had four, four or five years of that. When Jay Mulrossi, Andy Gowan, and Doug Graham were on the faculty together with me, we had a quartet, and we did a lot of a lot of cool things. It wasn't a high-end contemporary literature kind mm -hmm. of quartet, but we did a lot of fun things. We played a yeah. lot of gigs and things, and I really missed that for the last decade. Mm -hmm. So when Neil asked, um, I was I was all too happy to to join up. He wanted to know who else and talked about Sheldon Johnson, who's not mm -hmm. terribly far away in Roanoke, yeah. about a four-hour drive, and then somebody else who was not a former student of mine, who then backed away from it for whatever reasons, just as we were about to get started, and Neil wondered who I thought, and I said, well, you know, I think Andrew Allen would be really happy, and he's just moved from Texas to Georgia, so he's yeah, real now close. within reach. He's maybe three, three and a half hours away. I don't love the idea of not being able to rehearse regularly, mm -hmm. but who has time for that? Um, yeah, really, though. <laughs> so the, the four of us got together two or three times for really large binge rehearsals and put a program together and played it out, I think, four times last January. And it's been really rewarding. We have a residency in Colorado. That's provided cool. COVID doesn't end that. Yeah, oh, geez. Yeah. And some other things coming up this year. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, for me that's a real a real gift to to get that back in my life. And yeah, I'm I'm really pleased that they <laughs> the 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 former students and now colleagues wanted to to make music with me instead of yeah. in front of me. 
That sounds like a really cool experience, so, yeah, I, I, for sure. I'm, I'm thrilled to be in it, yeah. Speaking of performing, I know you are definitely a world performer. I feel like you've performed almost everywhere at this point. I know you've been a, very active at the World Congresses. I'm curious to know, was there one particular one that stuck out to you? Yeah, probably. I thought about that a little bit earlier this morning because you told me you might ask this question. <laughs> and my first one ever was mm -hmm. 1985, the World Saxophone Congress. It was in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And Don Sinta split a concert with Jean-Marie Landex. Henke mm -hmm. played a concerto. Hulick played a concerto. Uh, I played with the saxophone symphonia that Dave Bilger was mm -hmm. rehearsing and recorded with later. Included Pat Meehan and Lawrence Squads and Paul Cohen and a lot of people associated with the Rosher style mm -hmm. of saxophone playing. Dave was a little worried that my playing might have changed enough in my year at Michigan that I wouldn't blend. But mm -hmm. what we talked about afterwards, and he was really pleased. He said, yeah, That's the good. blend actually worked really well. And he mm -hmm. was happy about that. That that was special because it was my first uh, my first international trip to a saxophone congress was 97 to Valencia. Mm. And it was my first trip to Spain. And That's cool. I had always not really desired going to Spain. I mean, France, Italy, Germany, sure. But Spain, eh, boy, <laughs> was I wrong. Yeah. And so I learned a lot about the culture of Spain there and just loved it. I've uh, mm -hmm. been back several times since then, not to Valencia, but to other cities. But I would say the one that sticks out the most was the in the year 2000 in Montreal, where I got to premiere uh, a wonderful concerto that Leslie Bassett had written for me. Mm, yeah. And we were able to get that on the program with the orchestra. And I played it. I remember specifically wishing I didn't have to be at my performance because the Montreal Jazz Fest was going on at the time and I was directly opposite, <laughs> I want to say, Sonny Rollins. Oh, man. Like, if I could skip this concert to go hear Sonny, I think I would do it. But I yeah, didn't really have though. an option. Yeah. Uh, yep. I remember at dress rehearsal, a who's who of saxophonists sort of walked in to listen. I think that was because they weren't coming back that night. They were going to hear yeah. something. <laughs> but it was a it was a it was a pretty packed dress rehearsal. Mm, I bet. Um, and that was really special to me. It was my first concerto at a major international conference, mm. and I've had a chance to do several since then. Uh, which has been really rewarding. But that Mr. Bassett came and brought his wife and daughter, and it was just really uniquely special. He he's he was just a great human being um, mm. and a great composer, and that that really, for me, set up my desire to make sure I don't miss. And I haven't missed a saxophone congress since '97. Oh wow! Uh, not a world or or a NASA biennial. That's awesome. Um, no, well, not completely. There were there were some NASA biennials where I didn't see much, like when I hosted. Oh, yeah. Well, you're doing other things during that. <laughs> I was busy, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I decided at that time that I wanted to fully commit to the saxophone community mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that I participated as much as possible uh, because I think we we all grow when we see each other. It helps me to see what's going on in the world of saxophone playing mm -hmm. and to see how advanced the students have gotten since since I was a student. I mean, it's crazy what 20 and 21-year-old students and 18-year-old students will do now that we weren't even dreaming of doing mm -hmm. back when I was in grad school. The progression has been really notable. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if I weren't participating in all these events, I'd have no clue that this was going on and might be 
you know, walling around in my 1980s standards, and they were high, but um, I think they just keep increasing. Yeah, for I sure. Never, I never set out to try to get anybody to where I was at their age. I don't think that cuts it anymore. Yeah, at this point at NASA, I'm just like, wow, these kids are killing it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember early on meeting a, a colleague who's now a good friend, but um, I played at a NASA convention that he was at, and he was a bit older than me, about a generation older, and he came up to me afterwards, and he goes, geez, you sound terrific. Of course, everybody sounds terrific now. It's oh, gosh. When, it, when everybody sounds so good, and I thought, yeah, that's not the way I feel about it. I'm, I'm yeah. always happy when they're are more good saxophonists. It's good for all of us. It, it's not all a competition. I learned yeah. early on there's a lot more work on planet Earth than I can physically do by myself, so I better be happy for other saxophonists who find mm -hmm. good work and yeah. do great things for the, for the community because it helps all of us. I mean, mm -hmm. what Tim McAllister's doing with Adams, and now he's got John Corriano, and I mean, mm -hmm. I mean those are pieces that we need to have in our repertoire, and and uh, God bless him uh, for everything yep. he's doing to, to push that. Rosher, it, it occurred to me early in my career that we will never forget Sigurd Rosher. Maybe not so much even for his playing as for the pieces he got. For, for sure, us. for sure. The Glazunov, Bear, and all of the wonderful pieces he commissioned. He is immortal in the saxophone world because mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. And so I've spent a, a good part, portion of my career trying to commission great music from great composers mm -hmm. in the hopes that I'll have some lasting legacy in that regard too. One thing that a lot of people were asking about whenever I was workshopping this podcast idea was the idea of studio culture and what you think is important. So I was just wondering, what kind of studio culture do you want to have and how do you make sure that that's what's happening with your students? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I will say that I firmly believe I'm not teaching music as much as I'm teaching people. Mm -hmm. And I want students to go out into the world as responsible, ethical, moral human beings. Mm -hmm. More than anything, more than great musicians, I want responsible, ethical, moral human beings to be my legacy, mm -hmm. whether they're in music or in another field. And at some level, as you must know, I preach that in various ways <laughs> in lessons as part of what we do. Definitely. I think yeah. it's crucial that we learn, and especially in this time where we're dealing with all the racial tensions and all the mm -hmm. mistreatment of the African-American community, both actively and inactively, mm -hmm. by people like me. And I've done a lot of soul searching over the last weeks because I've never been particularly politically active, and I feel actually a little guilty about that. Mm -hmm. Sheldon, uh, who's in my quartet, Sheldon Johnson, put a Facebook post out that really kind of indicted me for my lack of active behavior in mm -hmm. trying to help the cause. Yeah. And I've always dealt with it not so much on racial terms as just humanity. Treat mm -hmm. people well. If you can treat people, all people, I don't care mm -hmm. what color they are, I don't care their religion, their political beliefs, but if you can learn to treat all people well, I think it makes the world a better place. And I do For preach sure. that. I, I feel it's very important. I had a student a few years back, and I don't remember who, said, you must be very proud that the reputation of your students in the saxophone community is that they're not only good players, but good people. 
Mm. I said, well, I hope that's the reputation. If it is, that would make me very proud, yes. Yeah. That's a goal for me. I think if we teach people how to function positively in the world, then no matter what they do, whether they stay on the saxophone or become conductors or become architects or doctors or preachers. I mean, I, I have had five or six former students go through divinity school. Oh, wow. You know, they're not in music, but the skills that we've dealt with for how to break down a program, how to find the work and accomplish something mm -hmm. in, in a piecemeal way until you've accomplished the whole thing, I think those skills are great for no matter what your career is. And I think mm -hmm. they're great for teaching. I think they're great for parenting. I think they're great skills for staying with your spouse. So I, I just, I firmly believe that what I do goes far beyond the musical part. Mm -hmm. I'm not big into the cutthroat gunslinger mentality, partly because I know there's more work than I could do on my own. And, yeah. you know, if you ask me who the best 10 saxophone players in the world were in a row, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't know where to start for people whose playing I admire, mm -hmm. but I don't think, I don't rank people that way in my mind. And I hope that That's a lot of other very difficult don't. to do. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's kind of a silly way to think. I mean, yeah. who's, who's the best violinist in the world? Well, it's easy to throw out it's Akroman, but you know, maybe for this kind of repertoire, it's, Joshua Bell or Shlomo Mintz or, mm -hmm. you know, well, well, I mean, Isaac Stern's no longer playing for obvious reasons, but, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, to me, those kinds of distinctions. It's almost arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my students who've done the best haven't been worried about whether somebody was better than them. They mm -hmm. were only focused on doing the best they could all mm -hmm. the time. And if they're doing their best, then we have to see what happens over time and usually good things happen when that's the mm -hmm. case it's not about being selfish it's about not being competitive in the way that tends to slow the progress down yeah i know that's definitely something everyone i'm sure struggles with comparing yeah. themselves to other people yeah well i've really admired that about gene rousseau's students to be mm -hmm. honest i've watched them for years at world saxophone congresses and nasa conventions and seen them be be friendly to each other, get together for group mm. photos. And, and Rousseau, was he, was he was almost nerdy in his obvious <laughs> joy for all of his students. And I yeah. really admired that. And I, yeah. and I hope I've told him that enough that he remembers that I consider him a, a dear friend in the saxophone world. I've always admired that about his students. And I know that that culture comes from him. Mm -hmm. So I've tried really hard to cultivate that kind of a culture with my own students. I want you to be happy for each other. I want you mm -hmm. to know that there's there's work for a lot of us. And, you know, not everybody's going to get work when they get out of school. We know that it's an unfortunate truth. Not everybody wants to stay in this field forever, and that's okay, too. But I want us to be happy for each other. I want us to be happy for the instrument when others are doing really good things for it, too, because mm -hmm. it helps all of us. Yeah. I remember when I got the job at Furman, somebody, I think it was Joe Luloff, was telling me he gave Ken Fisher, who was at UGA at the time, a rough time, said, oh, boy, you got Cliff Lehman in your neighborhood now. It's going to be harder <laughs> to recruit. And, and he said, you know what? That's the best thing for us. The more good people we have in our area, the better for all of us. And mm -hmm. I thought, wow, that's a really nice thing. For that's a really us. positive attitude towards it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, hope I, I hope I feel the same way 
Um, and I think I do. I think I that's, do. Um, <laughs> I've helped good. some students get jobs in my region, and uh, I always tell them, as long as they don't take any recruits away from me, that we'll be happy. <laughs> and, and then they always laugh, and they still do. Uh, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, there yeah. are more students out there than I can possibly teach myself. That is too. very true. But yeah, no, I think, we, I think we need to pull for each other, because the better we are mm -hmm. as a group of musicians on our instrument, an instrument that needs positive things in even the classical world or jazz. Jazz world, actually, we're probably doing better than in the classical world for image. Mm. But I think the better we get as a group, the more we commission great composers, do wonderful things, the better for all of us. So another question that people had was along the lines for future students. Um, they're wondering, what are you looking for in a student? Yeah, because that's a very broad question, I know, but there's a lot of things that you can say, so I'm curious. Well, I will say this. I'm really big on having a lesson with prospective students that I don't know. Now, mm. I still, as you know, I still teach high school students on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. By the time they're seniors, I know whether they're going to fit well in the studio or not. Yeah. Um, and usually, frankly, if they wouldn't, they've long since found another teacher or stopped studying. But mm -hmm. um, so that takes care of itself at the graduate level in particular. I don't want to make mistakes in the sense of having a student come in who's not happy with the culture or what I expect of them. Yeah. Because that's it's very costly. We don't have that many spots. And so mm -hmm. I don't want to have a student in a spot who doesn't want the kinds of things that that I want from them. Mm -hmm. uh, the excellence, for instance, um, the work habits. So, you know, in a lesson, I always try to tweak something about their playing, mm -hmm. which is not hard to do with anybody. Yeah. Uh, and so a student comes in, we have a little lesson, and, and I tweak something about their playing and, and ask them to make some adjustments on the fly. If their eyes get big and they really appreciate the change, the positive change, then I know something about them. If their eyes mm -hmm. kind of narrow and they step back like, what are you telling me I'm doing something wrong for? Then uh, <laughs> probably that's not going to work well for us mm -hmm. in a teacher-student relationship over time. Yeah. So, I, you know, with the younger students, I frequently talk about how hard we all work and how many hours we practice. And then I watch their eyes and see how they react to that. <laughs> if that seems like a good thing, then I'm all game. Because mm -hmm. for your undergraduate degrees, a long time, as as you know, um, you were relatively inexperienced when when very. you first came to me. I was but very I green. Oh my gosh! Right. <laughs> right, you didn't have the long history that some people do. But I saw yeah. some potential, and I saw a willingness to work that mm -hmm. allowed me to want to have you in my studio, and that seems to have worked out pretty well for both <laughs> of us. You know, I I do that. I made earlier in my career, I made some mistakes. In, in not asking the right questions mm. of, of potential students. Um, I want somebody who truly wants to get better, wants to get better fast. Mm -hmm. um, and and um, so I try to ask questions that lead down that, that path so mm -hmm. that I have a better idea uh, and don't misjudge. If, if, if I have high-level goals for a student, they have different kinds of goals. It's not as happy a relationship as if we have similar similar goals for their progress. Yeah, for sure. Um, I will say tone is always a big factor for me. Mm. And and I've tried to remind myself that tone isn't that hard to teach. We can fix edgy or bad tone. 
if the student wants to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if I hear a tone that I don't love in an audition, I'll make some obvious adjustment adjustments with the student in that lesson to try to see what they think. And you can tell whether they're just fighting it every step of the way or really going, whoa, that mm -hmm. really helped. And so, you know, those kinds of things, I'm just looking for somebody who wants to wants to learn. I mean, yeah. Mr. Sinta said to me once, years after I had graduated, he said, the thing I remember most about you is that you came with an agenda to suck everything out of my brain you could find. And I said, well, didn't we all? And he said, oh, no. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, actually, that's okay. I, uh, no, I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. Because if, if a student already knows everything, they don't need me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope I haven't graduated anybody who still knew everything. I hope not. Um, oh, no, you beat so. that out of us freshman year. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, people react differently to that kind of information. as you Yeah, know. for sure. For sure. Um, but I think the humility of of knowing what's left to learn. And boy, I think every year there's a little more left to learn than the previous year for sure. For myself, it's very humbling to realize how little we know about our own area of specialty sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm using my um, somewhat locked down self to read. And I'm mm. on my seventh book and I'm going back oh, wow. through Good the for you. <laughs> saxophone symposiums. And mm -hmm. reading and, and learning a lot of stuff that I should have learned when they were first out. You know, mm -hmm. I have a lot of them at the house. And when I'm done, I'm going to go back and get the others and make sure, nice. you know, even stuff that you may have read 15, 20 years ago, you reread and you, you remember things that you had yeah, forgotten. For sure. So I'm trying to use this in a positive way to, to grow as quickly as I can myself. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the other thing. If, if I've done anything successfully, I hope it's to set up an expectation of lifelong learning from mm -hmm. my students. I, I'm certainly there. That that Don did for me. I mm -hmm. hope I'm doing the same thing for you all. One last question I had about your students was not just in undergraduate degrees, but in career decisions. What are some things that you would advise your students to avoid or things that you would hope people are doing more of to make sure that they're successful in their careers? Oh, I don't tend to think about the mistakes. That's fair. I tend, to th I tend to think about the positives. I will say every now and then, and I think it was just last year, a former student who did his undergraduate work called me up and said, hey, do you have time to talk? And I thought, mm. uh-oh, I wonder what's going on here. <laughs> is, you know, is he going through a life crisis? And I said, sure. Um, if you want, you know, more than five minutes, then let's set a time when I, you know, and not between lessons and all. And mm -hmm. so he called back and we chatted for a while. And he said, I just really wanted you to know that my current career is not in music. And in some ways, it looks like it has nothing to do with what I studied. But everything you taught me about how to solve problems, how to deal with people is what I use every day in my current mm -hmm. job. And I just wanted you to know that. Mm -hmm. And and boy, that's that's as good a compliment as I'll as I'll get, I think. Yeah. Um, because I believe that I've, I've always believed that, that what we do as musicians, uh, we learn all kinds of skills that are great for any career we pick. My hope for all of my students is that they find a career that they're happy with. Mm -hmm. I've had some come in kind of sheepishly, you know, I think I, I, I think I've decided I don't want to go into music after all. And usually I've figured that out before they have, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to tell you you don't want to be in music. It's clear to me yeah. you don't want to be in music. But over time, yeah. they start to realize, you know, this isn't so much what I thought it would be. And maybe I could go into X instead. 
Yeah. And I'm always very supportive of that. Um, I've had some students come in and say, well, what do you think I should do with my life? And I say, how the heck should I know? What do you want <laughs> to do with your life? Complicated question That's there. That's <laughs> what you should do as long as it's, as long as it's legal and moral. Yep. Go for it. Um, so, so I want to be a drug dealer is not an option. Maybe I support, not that one. But, yeah. But, you know, I want... Um, I've had a number of students have been really sheepish about coming in with mm. career changes, and I'm really supportive of that, even if they're brilliant students. I lost one last year who was going into, I think, will be a, a, in medicine, mm. well, two last year to medicine. I know they would have been brilliant saxophonists. They really mm. had a lot going for them, but I have to be very happy for them. It's a wonderful mm -hmm. career, and it's what they want to do. Um, yeah. And maybe they'll play in their local community band maybe they'll go to the symphony concerts or come to one of my concerts and mm -hmm. and you know support the arts because they'll have the discretionary income to do so yeah I mean, we need people <laughs> sure. in the world we need people in the world who aren't musicians to support the arts and that's going to be really important this year yeah. as schools come back into session and there are financial crises all over the place what do they want to do well let's get rid of the ancillary things like the fine yeah. arts and, yep. you know, public schools are going to, I mean, it's a, it's a concern. I saw a bunch of memes on Facebook today about this in the 10 minutes I allowed myself to spend on Facebook, <laughs> but it's a concern and it's a concern that we put people in society who value the arts at a high level. Everything we do as teachers, if we provide positive experiences for our students, no matter what they end up doing for their career, it helps us all and mm -hmm. it helps our for society. Sure. For sure. So I'm a firm believer in that. I wanted to make sure that I included a section to do any features of your projects. Is there anything that we can be looking forward to? Well, I just... Maybe not that, soon, soon, that. but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, soon, soon. We'll see. Um, yeah. The saxophone percussion duo with Scott Herring has been going mm -hmm. really well. The Rosewind we duo? Yeah, we actually had a tour of China for next month. We had... Oh, wow. Um, concert venues setting up and, and mm -hmm. things like that, that is not going to happen. Next Unfortunately. Month. Yeah. I hope it can happen in 2021. Mm. I'm planning to do the World Saxophone Congress. We've commissioned a lot of music. We're mm. hoping to really spearhead the genre of saxophone, marimba, saxophone, percussion music. And we've had some students. Mm -hmm. We're actually toying with the idea of starting a summer program for saxophone oh, wow. percussion duos. That would be cool. Who want to form saxophone percussion duos because mm -hmm. it is such a unique color and I think a beautiful one. That's a mm -hmm. big part. We've we commissioned Greg Wanamaker, um, mm -hmm. premiered Turning Tides at NASA before the world shut down. Yeah, we had three performances of that canceled. We hope obviously to get that rolling and do it again mm -hmm. this coming season when things start to open up. We've also commissioned Stacy Garrup to mm -hmm. write us a piece. Um, that will hopefully be done in um, late summer. Everything is a little bit up in the air. Um, yeah, in some for ways sure. The, the shutdown because of the COVID-19 may, may speed things up for her. I don't know. But in any event, when we're back performing live, we'll, we'll be playing that. I would mm -hmm. hope that that and some other things, we've had some other pieces we've both premiered and performed since our last CD. I'm hoping there's a third one. In, mm -hmm. in the books. I would love to do a CD of two saxophone music, whether it's with piano or percussion or just mm. the two saxophones. Uh, as you may know, my son-in-law, Joe Lalo, Joseph Lalo in mm -hmm. Australia is a really fine saxophonist. A lot of training in France with Philippe Geis and Marie Bernadette Charrier. 
he and I uh, did some playing together last summer, and, and mm-hmm. I'm really we're, we're considering a project together. Uh, oh, that'd be a cool. Bunch of things, and maybe maybe commission some new works. Um, um, mm-hmm. We've we've talked about some composers that we're both interested in. Well, I'd like to thank you again for coming on the show. It was so fun hearing stories from you. I really appreciate it. It's always fun hearing everything you have to say. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to see you doing so well for yourself, and I appreciate thank you, thank the invitation. You. Well, I to hope to have you on the show again sometime. Thanks. Anytime. And that is a wrap for the first interview. I just wanted to thank Dr. Lehman once again for being the first guest on the show. It was a pleasure having him, and I loved hearing all those stories. It definitely brought a lot of memories back from my undergraduate days studying with him. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview, and we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.